You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Well, friends, if you've been with us at all since the beginning of the fall, since early September, you'll know that we have been deep in the book of Revelation, uh, over, I guess, 15 weeks now, this is the 15th of uh, the sermon series, and so we're bringing it to a close today, and I, I just want to say that it's been an incredibly fruitful experience for me going deep into this book, and I hope it has for you, and I will just say kind of one last time what I've been trying to say week by week since the very beginning. Uh, This book is a book that many of us are scared of. It's a book that is often uh, misunderstood and, dare I say, even misused. But what this book is, at root, is not a crystal ball about the end times, nor is it a secret book of information to be decoded. But more than anything else, this book is what John says it is in the very first verse of the book. It is an apocalypse which is simply means, do you remember class? Revealing, disclosing, uh, uncovering. And what is this book seeking to reveal or disclose more than anything else? The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ in all of his glory as he is now on the throne. As one commentator puts it, there is no other book of the Bible that presents Jesus Christ as clearly, as powerfully, and as compellingly as this one, who Jesus is for us right now. And I've been saying week by week, this has been quite a year and we're still in it. We're not out of it. And in a year like this one, in a a world like this one, so full of suffering and difficulty and disappointment and pain and unrest, in a world like this, what do we most need, brothers and sisters? A bigger, clearer vision of Jesus, a clearer vision of Jesus. Because this book is saying to us again and again, things are not what they seem, right? The world looks like it's in chaos. It looks like things are out of control. It may appear to you sometimes that your future is very dim, but things are not what they seem. God is on the throne. Jesus rules and reigns over all. The future is beautiful because a new creation is coming. Things are not what they seem. And so this book is inviting you to see reality as it actually is right now, to see reality as it is. And this will not necessarily change your circumstances. It probably won't. But what it will do is it will change your perspective on your circumstances so that you can have what you need to patiently endure patiently endure. That's one of the great themes of this book. So I hope that you have benefited from this. I hope that you have grown in your own vision of Jesus and your own capacity to endure because of this book. And I hope that you'll keep studying it. I really do. This is, I really do think that this is, this is one of the great books for our time. Uh, and if anything that we could study, this, this continues to bear fruit for us. I know that I have not been able to cover everything. I know that there's sections of it that I've not been able to cover. I've tried to cover all the most salient portions of the book, but I know that you might still have questions. Um, 
So I am inviting you to submit any questions that you have. Um, I'm going to do a podcast uh, this week to just kind of sum everything up and try to answer all the questions that you may have remaining. Um, you can submit those questions, hopefully do it today, um, to, if you go to thirdrva.org forward slash revelation, forward slash revelation, it'll bring up a little form that you can fill in your question. It'll go straight to me. Um, I've already got some very interesting questions about the Antichrist and the Battle of Armageddon and uh, alien life forms and time travel and revelation. I mean, I'm really excited about that one uh, to, to answer that one because I do think the revelation is something to say. Anyway, um, I hope that you will continue to draw from the riches of this book. So today we're finishing. And what we've been doing in these four Sundays of Advent is we're turning to the end of the book of Revelation and seeing what Revelation discloses about the future. What we are waiting for, which is a great thing to do in Advent because we are waiting people. We're reminded of that in Advent. And Revelation clarifies for us, what is it that we are waiting for? And we've seen in these four weeks that first we are waiting for wrath. We're waiting for the final judgment of evil. Second, we're waiting for love. We're waiting for the wedding feast of the lamb. Third, we're waiting for the new creation. We're waiting for the restoration of the material world. And then finally today in the last chapter, we'll see that we're waiting for life, true, everlasting life, the life we were made for. So, so let's hear God's word as Karen Carroll reads to us from Revelation 22. Let's listen to God's word. Today's reading is from Revelation 22, verses 1 through 7, 17, and 20 through 21. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What we call the beginning is often the end. And to make an end is to make a beginning. The end is where we start from. Does anybody know those, who penned those words? T.S. Eliot, uh, those were words written by the great British poet in the 1940s in a poem called Little Gidding. What do they mean? I do not know. <laughs> T.S. Eliot is notoriously difficult to interpret and understand, but those words have been pretty inspirational to a lot of writers over the decades, especially many people who write no novels or short stories. In fact, if you have ever known anyone who has tried to write a story or a novel, or if you have tried to write one yourself, you'll know that often the greatest struggle that a writer will have is what to do at the beginning and what to do at the very end, right? Do you labor over the very beginning, which lays the groundwork for the end, or do you focus on the ending so that it can frame the movement of the story from the beginning. And for those of you who love stories, and especially I think you kids watching probably know this, that the very best stories bring the beginning and the end together. So that when you finish, have you ever finished a book or finished a novel and you think, yes, this is what all of this was moving toward. This is what I was longing for. This is the end that the beginning created. Well, friends, as we get to the end of the book of Revelation, we see that truly the end is the beginning. We see the entire, right here in Revelation 22, we see the entire story of scripture from beginning to end, the entire story of God, the entire story of humanity and the people of God, the entire story come together here and all coming together in a way that we always longed that it would. And it is a story of life, true life, everlasting life, the life we were made for, the life we once had, the life we lost, the life we're promised, the life we will experience again. The whole Bible is a story of life. So let's, let's look uh, at the three main images of life that we see uh, in this chapter, Revelation 22. First, we'll look at the river of life, then we'll look at the tree of life, and then finally, the giver of life, the river, the tree, and the giver. Okay? So first, let's look at the river of life. In chapter 22, verse 1, we read this, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. Now, John, if you remember last week, John is describing here, he's continuing to describe the, the new city, the city that comes down from heaven from God when God recreates the new heavens and the new earth. And he sees, when he's looking at the city, he sees that it is a city, like many great cities, like even the great Richmond, a river flowing down the middle of the city. This river, however, he says, is made up by the water of life. And he says it is clear as crystal, which is certainly not like the mighty James. Now, um, you should know John Style well enough by now that you know that he is a master theologian, that his imagination is just saturated in Old Testament scriptures. And so there's many hyperlinks here. And he is referring to going back to the very earliest chapters of the Bible. So think back to Genesis 
1, 2, and 3. And there God creates a garden. And it's called Eden, which in Hebrew means delight. And it is in this garden that God intends to dwell forever with his people, experiencing life to the full, shalom, life as it was meant to be. And we read in Genesis 2, verses 10 through 14, that there is a river of life flowing through the garden, which then separates out and flows into four regions of the earth. Do you remember that? So this living water of God is flowing, just imagine this, flowing out of Eden to water and bring life to the rest of the earth. It's a powerful symbol of God bringing, supplying life to all the regions of the earth, bringing abundance and food and life itself. Now, as you know, if you know the story, you know the story doesn't go well, that Adam and Eve, despite having the river of life right there to deeply quench the thirst of their souls, unfortunately, humanity seems to have a drought deep in the soul. And so they're just not satisfied. They're, we're always thirsty for more. And so in the garden, Adam and Eve decide that God is not, not enough. They need more. They need something else. They need something beyond God to quench the thirst of their souls. And so instead of being satisfied, they end up what? Expelled, kicked out of the garden of life. And we immediately find out that they are expelled from the garden. And where do they find themselves? In a dry and arid wilderness. And this becomes one of the great themes of scripture is that human beings are thirsting for living water and instead they're always quenching their thirst in idols and the wrong things. So one of the most damning critiques in scripture is from Revelation, I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter two, verse 13, in which, the, which God says this, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Isn't that amazing that God calls himself that? and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Can you imagine, like, here's a, here's a flowing fountain of beautiful, flowing, clear water, and instead we choose this broken cistern with stagnant water that's always ebbing away. And God says, this is what you do. That you, my people keep turning away from the true source of life and quenching our thirst, trying to meet our deepest needs, with the wrong thing. Old Testament Israel did this with worshiping the idols of the nations. You know, we do this as we've seen throughout this book on so many things, trying to satisfy our souls. Maybe it's a relationship. You think, you know what? This is, this is it. This is the person. This is the one who will finally meet the deep longings of my soul, or maybe it's professional success, or maybe it's just a little bit more money or, but they all, everything that we thirst for and go after in our desires end up being like, frankly, Christmas morning, <laughs> where we rip open the presents and then within a couple of days, we're bored and wondering what the next thing will be. So we think surely this will be it. And we just keep digging wells and dropping buckets down in the hope that we'll bring up lasting joy, permanent satisfaction. But of course it never works. We just end up thirsty again. And all of this results in what I think is one of the most powerful images of scripture in Ezekiel, where the prophet describes God's people as a pile of dry bones in the desert. Do you remember that? I mean, what an image, a pile of dry bones. Have you ever felt like that? Just a, a pile of bones. And, and this is where it leads. This is what happens when we continue to insist on quenching our thirst in the wrong places. We end up a pile of bones in the desert. And yet even then, Ezekiel promises 
that there will come a day when God will raise up those bones, restore life, and provide again the river. In Ezekiel 47, he sees a river flowing out of the temple, a renewed Eden. And I love this phrase. It says, wherever the river goes, there is life. So you see, this is the longing of humanity. One of our deep longings is to get the river back that we lost, to drink again from the water of life. That's, that's the river, the promise of the river. Second though, there's another image of life in this chapter, and that is the tree, the tree, the tree of life. Verse two says this, on each side of the river stood the tree of life. Now, I don't know how a tree can stand on both sides of the river, but remember this is poetry. Use your imagination. Um, on each side of the river, the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, which is amazing, right? That sounds like something out of Harry Potter, doesn't it? Like a different crop every month, yielding its fruit every month. Now, let's go back to the garden, okay? What was in the center of the garden? You remember class? The tree the tree of life, right? It's called the tree of life and it represents the very presence and life of God. And God, what does he want to do? He wants to share his abundant life with humanity. So he invites the man and the woman, eat, eat to your fill from the tree of life and enjoy eternal everlasting life with me forever. Now, let me say a word about everlasting or eternal life. We joked about this a little bit last week and, and, and I'll say it again, that when I was a kid, some of you kids probably think this, the idea of everlasting life didn't sound very attractive. It was sort of, I imagine it's sort of like the Energizer Bunny. Remember, like he keeps going and going and going and going and going. And just thinking about sort of being in school for the rest of my life, going and going. You know, is that what, is he talking about an extension of our current biological existence? No. There's two words for life in Greek. Uh, one is bio. You recognize that from biology, the study of life. Bio is our physical, biological life. But the word that's used here for tree of life is zoe, which does not refer to the quantity of chronological life, but the quality of life. This is what the tree of zoe, it is not talking about the duration or chronology of life, but the quality, the total comprehensive transformation of our life. That's what God wants to give human beings, not just eternal forever life, but life as it was meant to be, everlasting life full of joy and beauty and love and justice and belonging and intimacy and deep connection with other people and with God himself. That's what God gives to Adam and Eve. That's what he offers to them. And that's what he offers to us, Zoe life. But again, as you know, the story, it does not turn out well. There's unfortunately another tree in the garden. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's the one tree that humans are, not, are told not to eat of because that tree represents trying to get life without the God of life. You know, it, it represents trying to live with our own evaluations of what is good and evil and true and beautiful. It's life without God. Eating from that tree leads to death. And you know how the story goes. The man and woman eat from that tree and it is the false tree and they are exiled from the garden and they are cut off from the tree of life. They are cut off from Zoe, cut off from life as it was meant to be. And y'all, this is the world that we live in. Does anyone think, especially right now, does anyone think that we are experiencing life as it meant to be? 
I mean, I, we live in broken bodies, uh, in broken communities. We experience broken relationships, broken families, broken societies, broken churches, uh, broken, uh, broken psychologies, or broken minds. Everything is broken deep down. Even if you're not a believer, you know this is not the way that life was meant to be. We're longing for something more. We're lo- and what are we longing for? Zoe. We're longing for the fullness of life that was meant to be. And so we, gr- we, re- we try to get it. We grasp for it. We take more vacations. We, you know, we, we try to get that, that vacation house that, that we always wanted. If I could just get into that school or get married or whatever it might be, then I'd have the deep, fulfilling, lasting life. But the problem is we keep reaching. And sometimes you even get it. You even get the stuff that you're grasping for. And you know what happens? Life's just as disappointing as it always was. So like the famous British uh, author, Jack Higgins said, I wish someone had told me that when you get to the top, there's nothing there. So you actually get the success you're grasping for and it's empty. You actually get the vacation home. You, you, you get married and suddenly you have a whole new set of problems and difficulties <laughs> that you didn't have previously. And so in all these things, all of our deepest desires are to get life that is truly life. We never stop wanting the true life that God made us for, but we just can't get it. You can't get it on your own. Zoe, the tree of life, is out of our reach. We can't get it back. So we're left longing. We're left restless. And so let's bring these two images of the river and the tree together, returning to Revelation 22. You can see that what John is doing is he is drawing from this rich imagery from Eden, the river and the tree. And it's like he's saying to us, y'all remember the river? That river that we lost? Remember the tree? The tree of life? that we once ate from? You know all those longings that you carry for life and fulfillment and wholeness that never seem to be met? Look, here it is, it's coming. God's gonna give it to us again. At the end of all things, when Jesus brings the new creation, when he restores the new city, it won't just be a city, it will be a garden city. And there in the city will be the river and the tree and the life that we lost. It's not just a return to Eden, it's a fulfillment of what Eden pointed to, Zoe, true and lasting life that we all want and that we know we were made for. I love what verse two says. It says, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations and there will be no longer any curse. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. One of my most favorite images that I've seen this Advent is this one from artist Scott Erickson. Um, it's, it, it's a vision of the two most prominent women of the biblical story. You see Mary on the right and Eve on the left. And, and you can see the heaviness of Eve. You see the apple, you see the snake, you see the heaviness that she carries and the curse for the river and the tree that was lost. And yet you see Mary there carrying that promised seed in her womb, standing on the snake, saying to her sister, be encouraged comforted. The day is coming with a promise that God made to you and your offspring will be fulfilled. And in and through the child I carry, that curse will be removed and the nations will be healed. And right here in Revelation 22, we see the fulfillment of that promise made to Eve. 
we see, we see the healing, the healing. It is first, it will heal your own soul. You know that old phrase, time heals all wounds. That's rubbish. I mean, it heals some wounds, but there are some wounds that you carry that happened, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50 years ago that you know time is not healing, that you carry like a big gash in your soul. And yet on that day, God says, your wound will be healed. And not just your wounds, the wounds of the nations will be healed. The conflict between the nations and the cultures and the races will be healed and reconciled on that day. And not just that, our own enmity between ourselves and God will be healed and we will be united again to God forever. As it says in verse four, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. God will mark us with a sign of our preciousness to him. We will see him. This is what we thirst for, friends. This is what we long for. Dwelling with each other and with God in a healed world of Zoe. This is why C.S. Lewis writes, if we find in ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. All your longings point to this world, the garden city, to be satisfied forever in the river of God and the promise of life. Isn't that beautiful? See, the end is the beginning and the beginning is the end. And it's beautiful. Well, let me just say one last thing. One last detail I'd like to point out. That the river and the tree are only able to give life because, look at verse one, they flow from the throne of God and from the lamb. The river, of the, of the river and the tree can give life. Why? Because of the giver of life. Because they flow from the throne and from the lamb. I just think this is just amazing. John is such a brilliant uh, literary artist. These two images, the throne and the lamb, have been the two dominant images throughout this book that have held all together. The throne is the symbol of God's power, authority, and control. And the lamb is a symbol of God's vulnerability and weakness and suffering and sacrifice made manifest in Jesus in his suffering death for us. And so here together in the final chapter, the throne and the lamb, we see them there and we see that the, the tree and the river flow from the lamb, that they can give life because Jesus has given his own life for us. You know, I, this is, I, I contemplated this almost for the first time this week. I don't think I've ever really contemplated this before, but that Jesus's own ministry is bound up with a river and a tree. That his ministry begins in a river in which he is baptized, taking on the, the condition of humanity. And John the Baptist sees him and points out, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His ministry begins in a river. And then his ministry, where does it culminate? It culminates at the tree. The tree on Golgotha, as, as Peter says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He chooses that word deliberately, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And if you remember, as Jesus hung there on the cross, suffering, suffocating, dying, a soldier pierced 
his side with a spear and out came a flow of blood and water. So this is saying to us that the cross itself where Jesus dies becomes the tree of life out of which the water of life flows to the world. I love the way George Herbert puts it, the poet. He says, putting these words in the mouth of Jesus, oh, all ye who pass by, behold and see. Man stole the fruit, but I must climb the tree, the tree of life to all, but only me. Jesus says, the tree of life to all, except for me. We can receive life because Jesus gasped for life, because he thirsted, because he died. Jesus is the tree and the water, the one who brings life to the world because he is the slain lamb who is cursed to bring life. Everything good in the new creation, the river, the tree, the absence of suffering, pain and sorrow and death, all of this is because of Jesus and what Jesus does for us because he loves us. He is the giver of life. Life flows from him. So, so, so what does this mean for us now as we close this book? Well, of course, as I've been saying the last few weeks, it does clarify our hope, what we're waiting for. Our present is shaped by our future. Our capacity to endure patiently in the present all depends on the nature of our hope for the future. So I just want you to imagine, can you imagine being on your deathbed, looking back and realizing that you missed the point of life. Isn't that kind of like one of, one of our fears? That you're dying in your deathbed realizing that you missed the point of life. And, and, and I just want to say that if you live like this life is what really matters the most, that this is what all there is, then you will do everything that you can to maximize your comfort and pleasure and to minimize suffering. And you will avoid the cross you will avoid following Jesus. And at the end of your life, you will realize that you missed the point completely. And John doesn't want that to happen to any of us. He doesn't. And when you know that true life is coming, when you know that this is not the point, that Zoe is coming, when you know that, then goodness, you can almost, you can accept any disappointments, you can accept any loss, you can love your enemies, you can go the way of Jesus. You can go the way of suffering and persecution. You can go the way of, of trial and death. Why? Because you know Zoe is on the way and all wounds will be healed. Everything that is broken will be mended. So friends, don't miss the point. Live today in the light of the coming future. As Paul says, fix your eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen, the Zoe life is eternal. But you know what? Here's the other good news. This is not just something you have to wait for in the future. Look at verse 17. What a beautiful invitation this book ends with. Come, whoever is thirsty, let them come. Whoever wishes, let them take the free gift of the water of life. Notice this is in the present. This is saying right now, for those of you listening to these words, this gift of the tree of life and the water of life is available to you right now. You don't have to wait for the new creation it can begin in you now. I love what uh, Dallas Willard said. He said, Jesus didn't die to get you into heaven. He died to get heaven into you. He died to bring, so that now through the power of the spirit in you, you can actually begin to take a foretaste of that new creation that is coming. You can experience it now 
through the fullness of the spirit, the foretaste of the life to come. And Jesus said this himself, John four, he said, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. That can happen in you right now. Or he says in John 15, uh, I am the tree, I'm the vine, the word for tree, (laughs) and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So do you hear me, brothers and sisters? This is one of the great invitations of this book ends, that you are actually being invited to receive the eternal Zoe life in Jesus now. What does that mean? Well, first it means death. That's the paradox of the lamb, that the pathway to life is always through death. So it means dying to sin, dying to self, dying to your way of running your life. It means dying to the old way of being human. And then it means inviting Jesus in to plant the seed, the imperishable seed of his eternal life in your soul so that a new humanity can grow in you. As we receive life from Jesus, as you root your life in his love, as you get connected to him, you little branch connected to Jesus, the tree, then his life begins to grow in you. His fruit grows in you so that his life and love spreads through you, through us to the arid desert of the world. That's the final invitation of this book, to be satisfied. To be satisfied in the living water that is Jesus. To drink from him, to eat from him. It's free, all because of grace. And then to become a part of God's mission of renewal, that you might become a path of love and fruit for the world that is in great need. So we come to the end, and the end is the beginning. The whole story of the Bible and the world all comes together here at the end in a way that we always long that it would. And friends, I I just want you to know this. I want you to take this with you. Life is difficult right now. It is full of disappointment. It is full of pain. And frankly, even when the pandemic is over, life will still be difficult. In fact, many many of us, maybe who are even the second half of our life, maybe even are kind of looking back on our life and say, you know what? My life just has not at all turned out the way that I wanted it to. And what do you do? Well, here's the promise of revelation. Things are not what they seem. Jesus is not far off. He's not somewhere out there. He is very near and he is offering you right now the eternal living water of life to be satisfied in him. And he is not just near, he is coming soon. He is coming like a light in the darkness. He is coming like a stream in the desert. He is coming like a light for the world. That's the invitation to receive him, to know him, and then to follow him, follow the slain lamb into the new creation. He's coming soon. Let's pray. Maybe just now you would just talk to God about a dry and desert place in your soul that you need the living water to come. And would you just invite Jesus to, bring that living water into that parched part of your life. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are the tree and you are the life and you are You offer Zoe, you offer the living water to us even now. 
Help us, O oh God, to be people who welcome the living water of Jesus in so that you might birth your life in us and we would become vessels of your love for the world. And we anticipate, help us to live ready, anticipating the day when you come again and help us to live in light of that day. Let us live for what really matters. We pray this in Jesus' name.